0: If you've been listening to the news of the last few days, you'll know that the North Shore um, ski hills are struggling with the lack of snow at this particular point. And uh, skiers and boarders, of course, uh, in Whistler are, uh, aren't finding the conditions that much better up in uh, Whistler uh, B- Blackcomb based on some of the um, images uh, that we've seen posted on social media. Now, there is uh, a snow expected between Christmas Eve and Boxing Day, so I don't want to be too negative here. Uh, but at this point, it is a later start uh, to the uh, ski season. But it does bring up the b- bigger and broader issue, which is what impact will climate change have on ski resorts, well, in August, a scientific study published by the journal Nature Climate Change uh, showed that if there was a global warming we were to continue to move forward as it is as, as it is happening, let's say global the globe warmed by 1.5 degrees Celsius, 32% of Europe's 2,200 ski resorts could face a very high risk of snow shortages. If temperatures hit 2 degrees Celsius, 53% of resorts would be in the same situation, 91% if it hit 3 degrees Celsius. Now the global data covers 28 countries and takes into account the frequency of snow poor winters as well as uh, the altitude and exposure uh, of slopes and put it the another way at the global level that if the carbon output follows today's trend Sapporo Japan would be the only city out of 21 past winter olympic hosts that could hold a reliable safe and fair games again by the end of the century by the 2050s a returning olympic bid even in vancouver would mean facing marginal conditions including february rain and wet snow up to half the time. Uh, that is uh, a very bleak picture, that's for sure. Joining me now to talk a little bit about the issues of climate change and the ski resorts is Andrew Weaver. He's a professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria, and he's, of course, the former leader of the BC Green Party. Andrew, thank you for joining us today.
1: A pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: I was hearing all these uh, disparate stories about, uh, I'm not a skier, but, uh, you know, things uh, starting off slowly uh, on, the, on the North Shore mountains and, and uh, in, in Whistler uh, as well. Um, do these headlines surprise you?
1: No, not at all. And in fact, we've seen this uh, before in a much uh, lighter way back in 2010 Mm -hmm. when we were hosting the Winter Olympics. And of course, you remember the stories uh, of helicoptering (laughs) in snow Mm -hmm. from from various mountains to Grouse Mountain and other places so that we could actually host them here. Uh, You know, this we know uh, 2013 is a a particularly uh, record setting year. Uh, June was the warmest June in in recorded history. July was the warmest July, August the warmest August, September the warmest, October the warmest, November the warmest, and 2023 will absolutely shatter the previous warmest record. And combined with that, of course, we have an El Nino going on, which... uh, typically amplifies the warming locally here. So uh, this is to be expected. And frankly, um, you know, the days of Grouse Mountain producing good ski ski hills are are basically on their way out in the years ahead. We know most of the glaciers, for example, in BC will be gone by this century. Mm -hmm. And and those uh, resorts that are marginal in terms of precipitation coming in snow versus rain will really struggle more and more as the years go on. You know, we might get a Ironically, if with a La Niña, the opposite of El Niño, you might get a, a couple of good snow years interspersed there. It, it doesn't just go away. Conti- but um, you know, I for one uh, would not be investing my retirement savings in ski hills in British Columbia. Um, with southern British Columbia,
0: southern British Columbia. Would there, that was my next question. Would there be much of a difference between, let's say, a Vancouver and Whistler uh, compared to, let's say, um, if you're up in Kamloops or Prince George?
1: yeah I mean uh, Prince George when as you get north of course it's, it 's ironically uh, it's probably going to get better skiing because as as if it 's cold it 's cold, but if it 's cold and slightly less cold, that means the atmosphere is slightly warmer, mm-hmm. but it 's still below zero, and that slightly warmer atmosphere holds a little bit more moisture so you can get bigger snows so so it does actually lead to better conditions in in in, in more northern uh, but but certainly for coastal regions, this is where it gets really dodgy. And we saw that in Mount Washington on Vancouver Island here. It was a couple of bad years. I'm not sure it's going to be a very good year this year. And we saw that with the 2010 Winter Olympics. And, this year should be a pretty horrible year for for snow, based on the ongoing temperatures at El Nino.
0: Yeah, I was reading an article um, uh, that uh, quoted a climate scientists from the University of British Columbia, uh, Michael uh, Pidwernin, and basically saying that the just to what you're saying right now, that Mount Washington, Cypress Bowl, Grouse Mountain, Mount yeah. Seymour, and Hemlock will face steep declines in snowfall uh, by mid-century. And uh, oh, they
1: already they already are now. I mean, like. Mid-century, that's it's it's happening now. Look 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 out the window, basically.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, In your mind, uh, let's let's walk away, step away just for a second here, uh, and we're talking about ski hills. Give me a sense of even in regards to glaciers and uh, that, and and as if you keep following this train of thought, then it starts impacting water and water supply, and even communities like uh, grow fast-growing communities like Metro Vancouver.
1: Yep. So so the issue for for British Columbia and our and our, our our latitudes, it will not be actual water. Um, uh, availability, because there'll be tons of it. It's water storage. So, you know, we often rely based on Water availability from snow packs that melt, but as the spring comes earlier in the year, you're not getting that delayed snow melt. So, so, so really, in, in, in climate change brings a challenge for water water storage for British Columbia. We we will need to build uh, dams higher, basically, uh, because you're going to get less in the summer, and when it comes in the winter, less likely in snow, more likely in rain, coming in more likely extreme events. So, I mean, we've been saying the same thing as a community for decades and decades, and it, it's really quite frustrating jazz to to you know have people look out the window and say oh my goodness uh, it's there's no snow on growth this is really bad well look we were saying that 30 years ago I mean so it, and it's going to get an awful lot worse so at some point we need to you know stand back and say look this problem is solvable let's get on with it thank goodness we have you know good directions happening provincially here and federally in Canada in climate policy but, but we just saw what was going on in UAE recently, uh, with the cop meeting and it's still there's still this resistance to to recognize that climate change is here happening. It presents an incredible opportunity for innovation as we solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And really the laggards who are holding us back from moving forward need to get out of the way.
0: Hmm. Now, one of the things we also learned um, in the last little while is that uh, drought is impacting BC hydro and and water levels and and dams that we have to the point where you have to import about 10% of the power uh, for British Columbia from other other locations. what would you think we need to be doing in regards to, you know, there's a call for IPPs, which is wonderful. But, I mean, I'm going to assume C is going to be the last big dam that we build in this in this province. What would you recommend if the Premier were to call you in regards to where what, what is our future sort of energy, what's going to meet our needs if another million people are moving to Metro Vancouver? Our population continues to grow. We relied on hydroelectric dams for so many years. What would you want us collectively as a province to start looking at? What technologies to say, okay, what's going to power this province in for decades? moving forward what would you want to be looking at
1: well it's, it's actually we we have it all here in BC so it's we have every possible source of renewable energy you could possibly want from tidal through geothermal through whatever So the problem with some of that, of course, like solar and wind, it's it's intermittent, so you have to couple it with storage. But we have that, too, in our existing dams, and we have enormous potential for increased storage. And actually, we have enormous potential to use our storage to reap benefits by stabilizing other intermittent loads, particularly south of the border. So there's something known as pumped hydro, for example. There's an awful lot of quarries around here that are big holes in the ground that are filled with water. That, that when people dug minerals out. That, well, you can store water in there and you can, you can let it go downhill and drive turbines when you need the energy to stabilize intermittent power. And if you have too much wind power, you can pump that water back uphill. So there are ways of storing intermittent energy. B.C. makes a ton of money right now through its hydro. And, you know, it's a little bit artificial to say we're importing 10 percent because uh, I I know that that's the narrative. But what B.C. hydro does is it makes a ton of money for B.C.'s by playing arbitrage Mm -hmm. with the California uh, intermittent market. California uh, gets way too much solar in the middle of the day for it to use itself. So uh, back in the day, B.C. used to, you know, uh, sell its hydro at, at uh, and, um, uh, at, at 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 night and buy coal in coal. Uh, it, it, sorry, buy coal at night and sell its hydro in the day to help California. Now BC is buying virtually free solar in the day and selling hydro at night at pre- peak rates. Uh, to make a, a, a price differential from that, so I, I see that continuing. We could already supply all our own energy if we wanted to, but we use a lot of that through the export through Powerex, and and it's governments love Powerex. It's our trading arm of BC Hydro, because revenues that come through Powerex go directly into government coffers to spend on. Things that politicians want to spend money on so so I see that continuing but there's more potential for storage in BC you know finally we're starting to see the calls for for power again Mm -hmm. but we really have a problem in British Columbia in that British BC hydro is a barrier to innovation in the renewable energy sector because they are the only ones who can purchase power Produced by the renewable energy sector. If you're an innovative company that wants to move to BC and power your, you know, you take advantage of our, our resources, you can't do it and just build your own windmills. You need to get BC Hydro involved. You know, if I if I happened to live next to you and we had, uh, I had a bunch of windmills on my, my property, I couldn't even sell my next door neighbor my my electricity. You know, that, that there's so many regulatory barriers because of the way we did thing and because of self interest of say B C Hydro which which basically has a monopoly. I, I, I get east southeastern B C has got Fortis which, which provides electricity. But but this is this is the problem for innovation. We need more competition and we need to be able to allow the renewable energy sector to flourish mm-hmm. and it actually finally on that topic produces an opportunity for economic reconciliation with indigenous peoples because most of those renewable energy projects lie in rural regions and much of that sits on unceded traditional territory so there's a win-win-win-win possibility here given we have the dams given we have the market south of the border and our ability to, and we have power and we have ability to produce energy i just wish we'd get on with it and uh, somebody would take on the, the you know the, the kind of elephant in the room, which is BC Hydro's monopoly on, basically, whether or not renewable energy goes forward.
0: Well, Andrew, I promise you we will have a long series on our energy future uh, for the spring of 2024. We're already working on that, and we'll have you back on for sure on yeah, that issue. Interesting. Yeah, no, we are definitely going to do that. I think it's, it's right. part of the broader conversation. Uh, if we don't speak before the end of the year, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy New Year. Thank you, as always, for making time for myself and for our audience. Thank you so much, Andrew. And to you and your show as well. Thanks
1: again, Jeff. Nine one one. Nine one one. What's your emergency? Ah, no, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh my God! The ship so is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Huffering. Huffering. Hello? Are you there?
0: Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of Nine One One on a new night, Thursday, March Fourteenth, on Global. Stream on Stack TV.